Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. On January the 6th, 1941, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt was making a report to the Congress on the state of the war in Europe. He said many things that day, but one thing that he said involved these words. He said he looked forward to a world founded upon four essential human freedoms. And then the freedoms that he detailed out were these, freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from want, and freedom from fear. And while in the world that we live in, we've not fully realized those, and we will not just out in this world, what I want us to focus on this morning is this, not how we can find those freedoms in the world, but how... We have freedom in Christ. Romans chapter 8 could be called the Christian's declaration of freedom. He gives us a lot of freedoms that we need to be aware of. As Paul writes these words in spite of God in, in Romans chapter 8. That's where we're going to be over the next few weeks in Today we're starting out with the Declaration of Freedom, but look at the freedoms here that, that Paul writes about in Romans 8. First of all, freedom from judgment, no condemnation. I don't know about you guys, I'm just a little bit pumped about that, and we'll talk about that in a few moments. That's the verses we'll be looking at today. But he also talks to us in Romans chapter 8 about how we have freedom from the flesh to live for God the Father. We, we don't have an obligation as Christians to, to live the way we used to. We don't have an obligation to live the way our, our flesh wants, and that's not a negative thing at all. The positive thing is we can actually live for God now. He, he also writes about freedom for believers that's found in future glory, because he's going to make some tremendous statements in Romans chapter 8 about, about what waits for us down the road as believers. And I'm just telling you, there's no comparison what's waited for believers compared with anything else that exists. And then he's also going to write about the freedom that believers have finding God's everlasting love because, thank God, once we know Him, there is no separation from his love amen that's pretty exciting stuff to talk about don't you think he started pointing out in Romans 7 about the Holy Spirit a good bit because we try too many times to be more like God wants us to be in the energy of the flesh and that's not what works what works is allowing the the Holy Spirit to lead and, and guide our lives and us surrendering to the Holy Spirit that, that's where we find freedom as as believers some 19 times, depending on your translation, in Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit is mentioned or referred to. And that's a good thing because Paul writes these words also in 2 Corinthians, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. We have, have freedom in Christ through God's Spirit in us. I didn't do that, I'm sorry. And since we're talking about freedom, let me stop for a minute. And we'll do a little bit of an emphasis, an emphasis right at the end of the service in this direction. But since we're talking about freedom, and today being Veterans Day, thank God for veterans. Amen? <clears throat> but Because of men and women willing to serve our country, sometimes losing their life, in, in order that we might have freedom. We ought to be so thankful 
for veterans. I'll be up behind somebody sometimes on my motorcycle or something, and I'll see it was a veteran, or I'll, you know, I'll see maybe they were even a POW and things like that. And I, I probably worry people sometimes because if I have time on my schedule, I'll tell them until I get to a stoplight or wherever they're going so I can thank them. They probably wonder, who's this weird guy behind me? But we ought to be, we ought to be thankful. But you see, what we... As Christians, I'll be really thankful for because of Jesus shedding His blood on the cross. We've got ultimate freedom. The end of the service, and I'm going to kind of, you know, preempt some of you that are veterans. By the way, even before we get there, if you're if you're a veteran that served our our country, would you raise your hand, hold it there just for a minute? Okay. Thank you, guys. The end of the service, I want you to come up, and we'll call you up at the end of the service. And here's what I want the rest of you to do before you leave. The end of the service after the invitation, they're going to be here at the front. I think they deserve at least a handshake and a thank you, don't they? Huh? And we're going to do that right at the end of the service. But today what we're talking about is the freedom that we have as believers. No condemnation is what Paul tells us in, in the verses that we have before us. See, that's a huge thing because when you go through the book of Romans, Romans starts out telling you you're condemned. Romans tells us because we're sinners, we are condemned. And we can't do anything to save ourselves, that we are only set free from that condemnation and can only receive God's salvation by His grace, by faith in Jesus Christ, plus nothing, minus nothing. And then when we put faith in Christ, He sets us aside to Himself, or we belong to Him. That's the thing called sanctification. And that's what he's writing about in Romans 6, 7, and 8. So we still have this theme of sanctification in, in front of us. But, but today he's writing to us, letting us know about no condemnation, freedom from judgment. I think it might be a good launching place for a Thanksgiving season too. Amen? Thanksgiving's right around the corner. You want to know why you should be thankful if you're a child of God? God will never, ever condemn you pretty good reason to be thankful now i'm gonna run another rabbit real quick because i need to give you a little plug before we jump into the message because at the time i gave the plug earlier the reason i'm having to give the plug is because you weren't here and the reason i'm giving the plug is because sometimes you come late and you need to know not to come late next week okay next week we're doing a special service they all ought to be special you know we ought that's why we ought to look at all of them really but being the sunday before thanksgiving uh, we're going to do a special service. There's going to be worship right off the bat, and if you come late, you're going to miss some of it. So come early at least next week because there's going to be a song, and I'm going to do a welcome, and there's going to be another song, and I'm going to preach for about 15 minutes, and we're going to have two songs to kind of set an atmosphere, and then I'm going to throw it in your lap and see how thankful you are for the rest of the service. And, and maybe invite you to pray for each other a little bit and take the Lord's Supper on our knees and some things really neat like that. But I, I'm telling you, Everyone be here early next week. If you can't do it all year long, at least next week. Amen, please, please. Some of you thinking, oh, he's going to preach early. I'll come late and miss the sermon. Then I just have to hear the music. No condemnation, freedom from judgment. But you look what Paul writes in, in these verses this morning. And some of it I'll probably move fast and hit the highlights, but the first part of it I really kind of want to slow down and then we'll slow down at, at, at the backside. But, but let's talk about, first of all, the basis for no condemnation. I mean, why is it that Paul can write that for believers there's no condemnation? What, what basis, what foundation, what reason is there that you and I, if indeed you know Christ as your Savior, can live under the awareness that you're free from judgment, that you're free from God condemning you, passing a verdict or judgment against you. As he writes in verse 1 through 4, he, he, to start with, I think, lets us know how immediate it is. How immediate, how eternal this basis of no condemnation that, that Paul writes about here really is. You see, it's something that happens right away. The moment you receive Christ as your Savior. He said there is, therefore, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Now, the, the word therefore, we'll read over a lot of times when we're reading in the Bible in English, and I, I, I take time to slow down and look at it in the original language because it, it helps me uh, to hopefully help you when we get in here to try and worship and, and look into God's Word. But the word therefore that Paul uses really means in the Greek that he's drawing a conclusion. And there are several important therefores or conclusions that Paul draws in the book of Romans. He starts out with a therefore of condemnation. Because we find in the Bible, therefore God gave them up to the lust of the hearts of the impurity. Why? Because, I mean, mankind was just, you know, rejecting God, living however we want to. So it said, therefore God gave them up. We were condemned because of our sin. Romans chapter 2 verse 1 says, therefore you have no excuse. Because we can run around like religious people judging other people, but that same judgment comes back to us. You know, there's condemnation that's in judgment. So he gives us a therefore of condemnation. He he also says this in Romans chapter 5 verse 12, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man. And he's talking about Adam. You see, if you are in Adam and that's where you are still, you're condemned. But he goes on and he says, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men for all have sinned. Therefore of condemnation because of Adam's sin, all the human race condemned because we're sinners. But he also gives us the therefore of justification. In other words, the therefore of being made just like we're not condemned, being made just like we've never sinned. And he says, therefore, since we've been justified, since we've been made just like we've never sinned, not by works, but by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then later in that same chapter, he says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation of all men, there's Adam again, he goes on and he says, so one act of righteousness, there's Jesus dying on the cross, leads to justification and life for all men. He gives us a therefore of condemnation, but thank God there's also a therefore or a conclusion that he draws of how we can be justified. And then today he's given us the therefore of no condemnation. As he writes, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice how immediate that is, how eternal it is, how it lasts forever. Look look at the little word now. Don't read through there too fast. Years ago, I was preaching this text at another church, and I had a lady, some of you heard me use this as a story before, but it just really illustrates, I think, what we do. There's a lady in that church whose husband had been to seminary, and while he was going to seminary, she attended seminary classes also. In fact, he had actually been a pastor for several years before he felt called to go a different direction in his life. And I preach this verse here, this text, and, uh, and this lady comes up, probably in her late 60s, I guess, at the time, and she comes up and she says, well, I knew that I was not going to be condemned one day out in the future when I stood before God, but she said, I had missed the little word now. See, don't miss the little word now. We, we do that a lot of times. There, there are a lot of people as Christians who say, well, I know I believed in Jesus, and because Jesus died for me on the cross, I know one day out in, in the future, when I stand before God, I will not be judged or I will not be condemned. But they put it off out into the future. And while that is true, and thank God for it, the Bible tells us more than that is true. The Bible tells us we are right now, if you're a Christian, if you know Christ is your Savior, right now, this moment, you're not condemned. In fact, the moment you receive Christ as your Savior, that was taken care of. You have never been in danger of being condemned by God from the moment you trusted in Jesus until now or ever will you ever stand in danger of being condemned because of your sins. Why? Because Jesus took the condemnation for you. Jesus was nailed to the cross in your place. Jesus shed his blood to pay for your sins. That's why you and I who know Christ as our Savior can have no condemnation. It's not something out in the future. Thank God it's something you need to be aware of now and live under the awareness of now instead of walking around with a cloud of guilt over your head all the time for your past. We've... Anytime you clap, it's for him, okay? (laughs) And I know John's hard enough to know that's true for worship or anything else. It's not because of us, it's because of him. Thank God that right now... A child of God can know that there is no condemnation because Jesus 
pay the price. Now, now don't misunderstand things. You, you see, we can experience conviction still for sin, can't we? And, and don't be mad about that. Thank God for it. I'm glad God convicts me when I'm going the wrong direction in my life. A Christian can experience conviction, but that's not condemnation. A Christian can experience consequences in this life for their sin because we can make choices whereby it causes us to face a certain series of events in our lives. But a Christian cannot face condemnation. And here's why. All of our sin, if you're a Christian, if you know Christ is your Savior, all of your sin has already been nailed to the cross, judged at the cross, condemned at the cross, and there's no way that God can condemn you because He's already condemned it through Christ. It's an immediate thing that happens the moment you receive Christ as your Savior. He took our condemnation for us. It says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That word in is a little word we read right by pretty quick too. You know what it means in the Greek? It means to be in Christ in a fixed, permanent position. The moment you believe in Jesus, it's not like you're in and then you're out. Or you've got one foot in and one foot out. Or you're straddling the fence in some way. The moment you authentically come to Jesus Christ by faith, in that moment in time, you're changed from being in Adam to being in Christ permanently, and it never, ever, ever changes. See, that's why God will not condemn you because you are not who you used to be if you're a Christian. You are now in Christ. And when He looks at you, He sees you in His Son. He sees you covered by the blood of Jesus. He sees the righteousness of Jesus when He looks at you. And that's why there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. Now, some might have a translation because there are some translations that go on in verse 1 who says, uh, walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That's not in most of the best manuscripts. And what the translators did, they brought it up from verse 4, trying to, you know, cause it to, to, to maybe make more sense. But that's not what God said originally. Here's what God says. There's therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, and then he put a period there. There is no other condition for you to be set free from judgment and set free from condemnation except you have faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. Now, should we... Walk after the Spirit instead of after the flesh. Yes, we should, because now we're a new person, and now our goal ought to be to serve Him and follow Him. But that's not a process of escaping condemnation. Jesus died on the cross for all of your sin. All of your sin is paid for. God will never, ever condemn you if you know Christ as your Savior. Never. It's an immediate, eternal basis for no condemnation that we can experience Right now. I, I like the way the message. Now the message, you understand the message is a paraphrase. It's not a translation from the original languages. But I still like the way the message kind of phrases this. Look, look at what the message says. With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that faithful dilemma, talking about our condemnation, that Romans talks about because we're sinners, that faithful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us, Jesus came for us, lived a sinful life, went to the cross for us, died in our place on the cross. It's what it's saying. No longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying, black cloud. If you know Christ is your Savior, without any doubt, you know you've been saved by faith in Jesus Christ, the blood that He shed on the cross for you. If you know that, and you still got a black cloud there, can I tell you something? God's not the one that's putting it there. 
Because God looks at you as though you are not condemned because He already condemned all of your sin in Jesus on the cross. If there's a black cloud that's there, either Satan is putting it there or you're just wanting to live in your past or whatever and you're walking around with it there, what you need to do as a Christian is recognize because of your faith in Jesus, it's all paid for, it's all done, taken care of in the cross of Jesus. Get rid of the black cloud. Because He tells us, Therefore, there's now no condemnation to all those who are in Christ Jesus. It immediate, instantly happens with eternal effect when we trust Christ as our Savior. But there's also an ultimate spiritual or doctrinal basis for no <clears throat> condemnation. He goes on and he says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. And then there's a statement where it's supposed to be, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There's, there's a... An ultimate basis, we looked at an immediate basis a moment ago. The moment you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. Ultimately, the reason that is true is found in what Paul writes here. And let's, let's look at, at three things. First of all, based upon what Paul writes here, the law cannot claim you. The law cannot claim you. Here's why. Look what he writes. For the law of the Spirit of life has done what? Set you what? Free. Set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is the law makes you accountable and guilty before God. The law cannot save you. The only thing law does is show you you're more of a sinner. It brings more death about in your life. You never could save yourself by obeying the law. The law doesn't have a claim over a child of God because a child of God has trusted Christ as their Savior through the law of the Spirit of life. The moment you receive Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. If you've been set free, if God says, you're not guilty, I've set you free, then the law doesn't have jurisdiction over you anymore. Pretty good reason for that. We've already seen in Romans chapter 6, that we are dead to sin. In Romans chapter 7, that we're dead to the law. And now in, in Romans chapter 8, we find out that we're free from the law. The law doesn't have a claim over you. That's part of the basis of, of you as a believer, not having to worry about condemnation. Not only does, can the law not claim you, the law can also not do this. And this is really what we're talking about today. The law cannot condemn you. And here's why the law cannot condemn you. Because what the law could not accomplish, God did through Jesus. Look at what he said in verse 3. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh. Remember, the problem's not the law. The law came from God, so it's perfect and holy. The problem is what? Us. Our, our flesh. We can't live up to it. Matter of fact, we read it and there's something in this kind of makes us want to rebel, like we talked about last week. For what God has, God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do because the law was not sent to save us. Here's the way God did it. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He was not sinful. Never sinned. He came as the God-man in the flesh looking like us in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, Jesus came for sin to die for sin. God condemned this. Here's what God did in Jesus. He, he condemned sin in the flesh. You see, killing an animal, all the sacrifices of the Old Testament, they, an animal is not a human. So an animal cannot fully pay the price for our sin debt. So here's the way God did it. God becomes man. Jesus is the perfect ultimate sacrifice for our sin. Jesus goes to the cross for our sins, pays for our sin, so we can never ever be condemned by God if you're a believer because the punishment already happened upon Jesus. Jesus has already fully paid for our sins on the cross. That's why God will not condemn us. There's something, there's something called double jeopardy when you when you start talking about the law of, of the land, like in courtrooms and things like that today, that I think rings true spiritually when it comes to us being condemned before God and Jesus dying for our sins. 
By, by the law of double jeopardy, that means if someone is charged with an offense and they go to court and they're found not guilty, they cannot be brought back into the court again and retried for the same offense. Think about that spiritually for us in Christ. Jesus died on the cross for your sins once and for all. You receive Jesus Christ by faith. The instant you do, God says you are innocent, you are free as far as I'm concerned. You're just like you've never sinned. God will never bring us back in and judge us because it's already taken care of forever with Jesus on the cross. And Jesus shouted, it is finished, and he bowed his head and he died. The, the law cannot claim you. The law cannot condemn you because Jesus has already paid that price for our sins upon the cross. But also the law cannot control you. And well, this is kind of what we talked about last week. Even though we're saved by grace, that's what the Bible teaches us. We have a tendency as Christians to start thinking, I'm saved by grace, but now I'm going to get a little bit more like God wants me to be by obeying the law. That doesn't work. The law did not save you. The law will not make you more like God wants you to be. Instead, what works, when you receive Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live in you. Paul writes these words, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. How? Not by our performance, but by Jesus' performance of what Jesus has already done. That's what he just said in the, first, in the verse right before it. What the law could not do, God did for us in Jesus in order that the righteous requirement of God's law might be fulfilled in us. How? By faith in Jesus. And then as a result of that, now we're not to walk according to the flesh, but we're to walk according to the Spirit. I can't be more of what God wants me to be by a bunch of legalistic rules. Instead, God now lives in me. Because He came to indwell my life and your life if you're a Christian the moment you said yes to Jesus. So the law cannot claim you. The law cannot condemn you. The law cannot control you. You are set free to live for God, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to do so. That's why there's no condemnation against us. Augustine put it like this. Grace was given... <clears throat> that the law might be fulfilled. Think about that. God's grace was given in Christ that the law can be fulfilled because we can't do it. He did it, and it happens by His grace, not by our performance, not by our works, but completely and totally by His grace. The law doesn't have the power to save us. The law doesn't have the power to produce holiness in our lives. That happens by the Holy Spirit of God. In the Holy Spirit, we have life, Liberty, Romans chapter 8, verse 2, in the pursuit of happiness, the way we ought to walk and live our lives, Romans chapter 8, verse 4. That's the Christian's declaration of freedom. Paul wrote this in Philippians. He said, for it is God. Notice this, who it is? It's God. It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. It is not you that does it. It is not you pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It is not you being able to please God. It is God doing it through your life, for His work and for His pleasure, God being the one that, do, that does it. The, the basis of no condemnation is simply this. It is immediate and eternal. There is therefore now no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus, but it also is ultimate and forever because more or less to boil it down, God did what we couldn't do anyway by sending His Son. His Son condemned sin upon the cross when he died for it paid for it that's why god will never condemn us as christians paul goes on in the rest of the verses that we've got before us in in verse 5 through 11 <clears throat> and he also writes about some blessings that we have as believers because of no condemnation because of being set free from judgment some People debate, theologians like to debate about stuff anyway, some kind of debate about what he's talking about. Is he talking about, you know, people who are in the flesh that are lost and people who are saved in the Spirit? Or is he talking about a person that's saved and they still got the old nature that we do and we've got the new nature of Christ? I really think he's, he's writing about both. But what I'm going to do is cover real quickly some contrast because it'll help you just to see the blessing that we have as a result of no condemnation by, by contrasting some things that, that, that he writes about here. And then we're going to stop and camp out just a little bit on the very, on the very last 
the very last contrast that we're going to look at. Contrast number one is this. Life according to the flesh versus life according to the Spirit. More or less, he says in, in verse 5, those who live their lives according to the things of, of, of the flesh, they're setting their minds upon the, the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of, of the Spirit. There's a contrast there. If you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, you are now set free to where you've got the capacity to where you can actually think the way God wants you to think. You can actually think God type of things. You can focus upon the Spirit. You can listen to the Spirit. The lost person can't do that. A blessing of not being condemned is this. We now have the Holy Spirit in us, and we can listen to the Holy Spirit of God. A person that doesn't have the Holy Spirit, they're in the flesh. All they can hear is the flesh. Second contrast is this. A mindset on the on the flesh equals death. Someone who's in the flesh, they never received Christ as their Savior. That's all they are, their old nature. A mindset on the flesh equals death. Matter of fact, even for a Christian, if you sit around and you think about the wrong things, it doesn't bring about the life that God wants in your life. It brings about kind of dead type stuff in your life. But, but the mindset on the, on the flesh equals death versus for a child of God, one that's been set free by trusting in Jesus, the mindset on the Spirit, and that's where we need to focus upon what the Holy Spirit wants in our life. The mindset on the Spirit brings about life and peace. And he more or less talks about that in verse 6 and 7. Look at the next contrast. War with God versus peace with God. He said, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile or at war or against God's will, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. A person that has never received Christ, that all they are is still in the flesh, they, they can't submit to God's will. They're at war with Him. But the blessing for those of us who know Christ as our Savior, the blessing of no condemnation is simply this. The, the blessing is that we're not at war with God. Now we're at peace with God. And another contrast is this one. Pleasing self versus pleasing God. He said in verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You know what the implication of that is? The reverse of it is, if you know Christ as your Savior and the Holy Spirit of God lives in you, you can please God. Isn't that an amazing contrast? Now, some of you aren't getting it. I want to remind you of something. Let me bring it down to where it's a little bit more real for you. You cannot even please the people you live with in the same house. Am I telling the truth? You cannot fully please. I don't care if it's you and one other person. See, we, we've been trying to limit things down at our house. We've married two of ours away. Jerry's not quite ready to go out the door yet. Maybe we can kick him out to a college out of town or something for a little while until he gets to the, to the marrying age. But we're, we're trying to limit it down a little bit. But even if it's just down to Becky and me, I know up front because I know myself and we've been married all these years now, I know up front I can't even please her all the time. She can't even please me all the time. You can't please the people you work with or for all the time, right? But the amazing thing is, those of us who know Christ as our Savior and the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us, we've got the capacity to please God. And God knows more about us than anyone else. And He's the one that's perfectly holy. We're a bunch of sinners that can't please each other. But somehow, through the Holy Spirit of God, we can actually please God. That's a blessing that we have of being in a relationship with Christ and the Holy Spirit living in us and not being condemned and not have to worry about facing judgment. But there's another contrast. And this is the one we need to talk about for a minute. <clears throat> the last contrast, and really the last thing we're going to focus on this morning, is this, the Holy Spirit in you versus no Holy Spirit. Paul writes these words, you, however, talking to believers, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, 
if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. So he raises an issue. And then he says this, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, now what does that mean? You see, some people want to mince words and say, oh, well, that's not talking about the Holy Spirit, that's talking about something else. Listen, there's one God revealed in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit of God. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Now file that away for a second. We'll come back to it. Because I want to talk about the, the good stuff first. And then we'll come back to that. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Now, now stop and think about that. You know what He just said? The exact same Holy Spirit that God the Father used to raise God the Son to life on the other side of being nailed to the cross for our sins, thrown in a tomb like they thought they were done with him, and sealed the tomb. The exact same Holy Spirit that the Father used to raise God the Son from the dead. As a believer, that power, that same Holy Spirit already lives in your life. Now, now some of you are not getting it. Listen, here's what I just said. The very thing that you need to get up on the other side of death, if you're a child of God, if you're a Christian, already lives in you. Does that put it in a more of a wow term? Think about that. Now, I, I don't know when I'll die and when you will die. I mean, maybe Jesus will come back before this service is over with and we'll be raptured out together. be honest with you, I'd be happy. Save a whole lot of worries and issues and question marks on our culture and our nation and our society. I'd be happy if he'd come back right now. With the exception of having some friends, I think I want to see come to Jesus first. But if I don't go out by the way of the rapture, if I do die, if you die before Jesus comes back, and your body is placed in the grave. And the Bible says this, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So I believe when a Christian dies, they go straight into the presence of Jesus. But even so, the Bible still talks about a day when Jesus comes back and the resurrection takes place and our bodies will be raised and given life, okay? The very thing that you need as a believer and that I need as a believer for that to happen is already in my life. You already have the very ability to live forever because of the faith that you have in Jesus. God, by His Spirit, lives in you. And isn't that great news? But, don't miss the contrast. See, the, 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 Holy, the Holy Spirit does a lot of, lot of important things. The Bible, the Bible tells us, the Bible tells us this, um, that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians chapter six, verse 19 and 20 says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit of God? And, uh, uh, within you, whom you have from God, uh, you are not your own. Why? Because Jesus bought you with his shed blood with a price. So now what we ought to do is glorify God in our body. But right now, if you're a believer, you're the temple of God. God lives there. The Bible also says that the Holy Spirit witnesses that you are a child of God because later on in this same chapter, it says this in Romans eight sixteen: the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So if you're an authentic Christian, there ought to be something in you with the Holy Spirit of God that lets you know it's real. That's bearing witness to you that it's the, the, the authentic thing that it's real. The Bible also tells us the Holy Spirit seals every believer and is the guarantee of your eternal inheritance. In Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, it says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with, 
with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Now, uh, I've got to camp out there just a second. What he just said is this. The Holy Spirit, if you're a believer, seals you, guarantees that you're going to make it to heaven one day. And the Holy Spirit is also a guarantee of all the inheritance that God promises you will be yours one day because the Holy Spirit in you guarantees it will happen. So all that's good stuff, isn't it? But don't miss the contrast. Did you see what Paul said a moment ago? That's why I want to do the good stuff first. Because guys, I, I, this is really honest. I don't know what you might have on your mind this morning, but whatever it is, whatever else might be on your mind, you need to kind of park it somewhere and you need to listen right now for a moment. Paul said, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ in you, you don't belong to Jesus. That's pretty serious sounding, isn't it? If you don't have the Spirit of God in you. Now, I, I know there's a lot of wild tangents and things out there. I think the Bible honestly teaches this. I think the Bible teaches the instant you become a Christian, the moment you pray and receive Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. I think sometimes between different denominations, sometimes we're arguing semantics, maybe of using different terminology or whatever. See, the moment you receive Christ, the Holy Spirit's in you. It's not an issue now whether or not you get the Holy Spirit. You got the Holy Spirit when you receive Christ. The issue is you give and over to the control of the Holy Spirit. And see, some people say, well, you know, did you get the Spirit in that, you know, in that service? You know, uh, that's not the issue. The issue is, did the Spirit get me? You know, is the Spirit controlling my life? It's not whether I'm getting more of Him. I got all of Him the moment I received Christ, I believe. But it, it, but it, but it's me appropriating that, I guess. Might be a way for us to look at it. But here's the deal. Paul says, if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ in you, you don't belong to Him. You're none of His. You don't belong to Jesus. Now, I'm not trying to get anybody to doubt. That's not my job. I hope everyone in here has faith in Jesus in the awareness of the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life to the degree that neither me or anyone else can make you doubt. That's what I hope. But I do think there's a danger that there are people who grew up around church, who was taken to church as children, made some kind of emotional decision in a vacation Bible school and didn't understand it, might have cried crocodile tears because their friend was. Or their friend might have got authentically saved and you thought, well, my friend went down and you just went down, you know, just there's something to do that day. Or maybe you've gone to church all your life and maybe you know all this stuff about Jesus and you understand that Jesus is supposed to have died on the cross for your sins and you understand all that, and you've got a mental ascension to all of it. But, you've never, ever, ever felt the Holy Spirit convict you, guide you, direct your life. You've never, ever felt the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And if that's where you are, I think based upon what Paul says here, you've got a problem. If you've never, ever, ever felt the Holy Spirit. So I think if you're a Christian, if nothing else, if you're doing bad, you'll feel the Holy Spirit convicting you and spanking you. The Bible says in Hebrews that if He doesn't correct us, we're illegitimate. I'm, I'm using the kind language uh, If, you, if you've never, ever felt the Holy Spirit at all, 
And it's not about emotions. It's about Him directing your life, Him convicting you. When, when you start to make the wrong choice or you've made the wrong choice and, and, and He convicts you and He lets you know it's wrong and you, you need to ask forgiveness. Or you're about to make the wrong choice. And He says, no, this is what you need to do. And, and the Holy Spirit's directing your life and, and you've experienced that at least to some degree. But if you have never, ever, ever, if you have no idea that the Holy Spirit is in you, you might know a lot of facts about Jesus, but according to what Paul says here under divine inspiration, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ in you, you don't belong to Jesus. There's really only two types of people in the world. And you think, oh no, I know a lot of people. I know a lot, you know, a lot of them weird. A lot of them like this. A lot. Well, as far as God's concerned, there's two types of people. There's people who said yes to Jesus and the Holy Spirit lives in them. There's people who have not said yes to Jesus and the Holy Spirit does not live in them. Only two types. The issue is, where are you? Maybe these questions might help you evaluate a little bit because it might be a pretty good indicator whether or not you're authentic, whether or not you really know Christ as your Savior by asking yourself some questions like this. Does the Holy Spirit ever control my life? Does the Holy Spirit ever control my choices? Does the Holy Spirit ever get in my thought process, ever control my thoughts? Is, is my life being controlled by the Holy Spirit? Is my life just always being controlled by, by what I want, by my own nature? And if you'll ask yourself those types of questions, just, just maybe it'll help you distinguish this morning something really, really, really important. And that's if you're real, if you really know Christ. If you really belong to Him, if the Holy Spirit lives in you. John wrote this in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 13. We know that we live in Him and He in us because He's given us of His Spirit. One of the signs, one of the, the evidences of, of being real, of knowing Christ authentically as your Savior is that you have the Holy Spirit. So where are you today in this? Thank God for no condemnation, right? Believers, if you know for sure you're a believer, will you agree with me? Thank God, no condemnation, amen? No judgment, not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. There's therefore now no condemnation of those who are what? In, in a permanent basis, forever and ever and ever. In Christ, that's what it means. Thank God for that. And those of us that know that, as, as John comes out to lead us here in just a minute, man, we ought to be able to celebrate this morning. Thank God for no condemnation. Some of us as Christians maybe even need to come and kneel and pray at the front and say, thank God for no condemnation. Thank you, Jesus. Or you, you, you may need to come as a Christian and even say, thank you, God, there's no condemnation. Thank you for Jesus, but God, forgive me. I don't listen to the Holy Spirit like I should. I don't let Him guide me like I should. But for some, just maybe you've got a concern this morning based upon the words of Paul, based upon the Bible, whether or not you really belong to Jesus. Because right now you, you're thinking about all I've said here at the last. And you're thinking, I, I'm not sure. I don't know if I've ever listened to the Holy Spirit. I don't know if I've ever felt the Holy Spirit. I don't know if the Holy Spirit's ever convicted me. I don't know if the Holy Spirit's ever directed my life. I don't know if the Holy Spirit ever controls my choices or my thoughts. And if He's not there at all, according to Paul, there's a problem. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for sending Your Son. Thank You for doing through Your Son what we could not do, what the law could not do, what would just 
completely be impossible without you sending your Son. We thank you, God, that you judged our sins on the cross. We thank you that Jesus took our condemnation, that Jesus paid the penalty, the price for our sins once and for all, forever. And for those of us who know Christ as our Savior, you promise us there's therefore right now, not just one day in heaven, but right now there's no condemnation. Thank you for that, Jesus. Father, some of us as believers feel like this morning we've not listened like we should. We've not allowed the Holy Spirit to guide us. Lord, maybe we, God help us just to be honest with you and and, and ask you to help us, God. Empower us that we can, can be more of what you want us to be by your Spirit living in our lives. God, especially this morning, I want to pray for those that might not be set free. I want to pray for those that might be in danger of condemnation. I want to pray for those that may be here this morning who have never, ever trusted in Christ. Lord, if there's someone here that just clearly, they know it. They know they never have. No question, no, no thought I did, but maybe not. Lord, they just know they're not. Father, I... God, I pray that you'd speak to them this morning. Help them to see their only hope of salvation and their only way to escape your judgment and condemnation is by believing in Jesus who paid for it on the cross. But Father, I pray for clarity in the lives of others who maybe, maybe thought they were okay because they've gone to church and they've, they, they've got a lot of head knowledge about Jesus, but... Or maybe they're being confronted with a hard, cold truth this morning that they don't know for sure because they just don't know the Holy Spirit's there in their life. So, Father, I pray you give them clarity, and I pray that you give them transparency to where they're, they're, they're willing to admit it. If they missed it somehow, but willing to come and get it right today and trust in you. In you alone. God, you promise as we become new, new creatures, new creations in Christ. God, if there's somebody here that's missed that and your spirit is not in them, help them to see that right now. Lord, it's in Christ's name we pray. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.